Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Six, which makes it the first Thursday of May, which makes it the National Day of Prayer. Check out all of the events near you and join us this evening at 8 p.m. for the live stream, uh, nationaldayofprayer.org. Uh, just yesterday, we spoke with Don Wilton about his friendship with Billy Graham. Uh, Wilton's memories shared in Saturdays with Billy. Um, One Billy story that you may not know, 70 years ago, Billy Graham stood on the Capitol steps. It was February of 1952. He called for Congress and the president to uh, establish a day of prayer. And by April of 1952, that had happened. President Truman signed the legislation into public law. And so today on this National Day of Prayer, as we gather together under a um, similar presidential order, We do so um, interceding for the nation, and we do so along with uh, Christians and uh, people of faith of other varieties today. So the National Day of Prayer is, um, it's important, it's significant. Let's not miss it. Kathy Branzell, who's head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, regular guest here on Mornings with Carmen, she said recently, we pray to see the Lord fill our lives, our families, churches, workplaces, education uh, centers, military, government, arts, entertainment, media, We pray to see the Lord fill our lives with biblical, not cultural, not worldly, but spirit-empowered, spirit-filled love, life, and liberty as designed and defined by our Creator and Savior. So, uh, friends, let us join in prayer today for the nation, for one another, for the spirit of the living God to fall afresh upon this land with love and life and liberty. Plan to join us uh, tonight for the National Day of Prayer live stream event. We've actually posted a link really easy for you at MyFaithRadio.com. You can also find an event near you at NationalDayOfPrayer.org. So uh, as a participant in the National Day of Prayer, let us let us pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of us, uh, of, uh, God of us all, we bless your name this day. We praise your goodness. We praise your grace. We thank you for the favor you have poured out by your spirit and life and liberty and love in this land that we call home. Father God, we acknowledge our sin, our brokenness, the divisions among us. We know our need for a deep moral, spiritual revival. We need you, Lord. Pour out your spirit anew upon this land. Convict us, convict us of our sin and turn us towards yourself in repentance and faith. Transform us, Father, that we might walk in your spirit as the people of God today. We pray, Father, for all of those in leadership in this land. Woo them, Lord. Woo them unto yourself. Fill them with your spirit. Grant them wisdom to do what is right and righteous. Father, your word confirms that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And indeed, may today mark the dawn of a new era as we humble ourselves and turn to you, our Lord and our God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. 
Amen. Ben Johnson joins me next. We're going to survey uh, several headlines of the day. We'll be right back. Well, our friend Ben Johnson, you can find him at therightswriter.com. But as of today, you can also send him tips. At bjohnson at dailywire.com. He is now the media reporter at the Daily Wire. Ben, congratulations. New gig. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. It's it's a pleasure and an honor to be able to work there. And hopefully we'll be able to continue to shine the light of truth on what's happening in the media over at this uh, new venue. Yeah, it's really, it's very, very exciting. So um, let's jump into some of the headlines um, of the day. I am going to reach back to um, a blog post at blog.acton.org um, because it's just really excellent and I would love to have you share it with folks. The three things we need to know to make socialism work. Now, frankly, socialism doesn't work, so I'll just go ahead and um, and give that away right here at the beginning. But according to Ben Johnson at, uh, at, at the Acton blog, tell us the three things we need to make socialism work. Yeah, so it takes a lot of courage to, uh, to say that there's a way to make socialism work at the Acton Institute blog, right? Uh, <laughs> what so what we're talking about here isn't isn't socialism in the institutional sense, and I, I make that clear. I was a little bit reluctant even to use that, but it was too catchy a headline not to use. And uh, what we're talking about here isn't uh, where the government owns the means of production and uh, everything is funneled through a bureaucracy. If you talk to the average young person, you ask them, what does socialism mean to you? They would say that it means sharing. It means that everyone's needs get taken care of, that people have things in common, and that if somebody needs something, uh, it will be provided for them and that people work not just for themselves, but for a collective. And there are arrangements like that. Uh, Those who are biblically literate will, of course, think of Acts chapter four, which is always Mm -hmm. quoted to me about once a week, uh, including in this email that, that inspired this. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says they had all things in common. Now, they had it under the apostles, not under Pontius Pilate or Herod. Uh, They had it voluntarily because they could have chosen to withhold that money, as it became very clear in Acts chapter 5. And they immediately began to have fallings out over the distribution between the Greeks and the Hebrews. Uh, We know that from the Bible. But there are still arrangements where Christians hold all things in common. They're called monasteries. And if you want to live that kind of a life— then that's exactly what a monastic life is like. In monasteries, of course, you have uh, people who don't own anything. And and, uh, those who are not uh, maybe raised in a a church background that has monasteries wouldn't necessarily know this. But monks and nuns do not own anything. They are given things by the head of the monastery called the abbot or abbess if it's a convent. And that person has absolute control over the jobs that you perform, over what you are allowed to have access to, and what you do day in and day out. Now, this arrangement, of course, has been successful. Uh, it's, it's held out in some 
places continuously since 360 AD, so 1,651 years in uh, in Egypt, and uh, the average uh, the average monastery in uh, certain areas of uh, Germany and Benedictine monasteries have lasted a minimum of 463 years. Now, if you look at American experiments, there have been attempts to have communes in, in the United States, of course, the hippie communes or Robert Owens and New Providence and places like this uh, before the uh, Communist Manifesto. They tried to make socialism work among secular people. That average commune lasted two years. So what's the difference? I, I wondered, what was the difference that made these arrangements work and the other voluntary arrangements, very similar in the way they worked, not work out? And first of all, you need a couple of vows. You need a vow of poverty, because there's not going to be any luxury in this kind of lifestyle. You need a vow of chastity. And of course, our society is completely uh, opposed to everything that would uh, involve chastity or sexual purity. And you need a vow of obedience, because if you are part of the monastery, you take a vow of unswerving obedience that whatever the abbot or abbess tells you to do, you will do without questioning immediately. So you need those three things. And really, above and beyond all that, the uh, the one thing, and I buried the lead in the story, is you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you don't work for anyone else. You only work for yourself. Yeah, the motivation to um, to do the things that would be required, the motivation to do those things is all caught up in um, in Jesus and so uh, I do, I appreciate the viewpoint. I appreciate you highlighting it. Um, and I, I definitely thought it was worthy of, you know, our reaching back and um, and sharing with folks this morning. All right. I am talking with Ben Johnson. You can now find him at The Daily Wire. He's got a number of things posted at dailywire.com already. His latest piece, Trust in Media Hits Record Low, New Study blames readers for lack of confidence. That's an interesting piece. Um, when when Ben and I come back, we're actually going to um, pivot to a piece in the Washington or in the uh, Wall Street Journal, um, because I want to talk with you, Ben, about bad history and what's going on in terms of who's pushing which version of history, particularly when we talk about public schools. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is my Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson. You can find him at therightswriter.com. You can also now find him at dailywire.com. Um, ben, let's talk about history. Let's talk about how history is um, taught in our schools and what's going on right now in terms of a backlash against bad history. Well, the uh, Biden administration is talking about backing history similar to the 1619 Project in our nation's schools. And, of course, uh, the the, uh, Republican senators led by uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell have written a letter to uh, the Education Secretary Miguel Cardona saying that they are concerned about these efforts, that uh, he's imposing a politicized and divisive agenda on our nation's schools by introducing the 1619 Project and history like that. Not only is it uh, divisive and politicized, certainly it would fall into that category, but uh, the 1619 Project is just bad history. Uh, and it's so bad that the, the columnist for The New York Times, Brett Stevens, wrote an entire column, uh, too late in my opinion, but he finally wrote a column in The New York Times fessing up that this was this was poorly written, poorly thought out. The idea, the central 
claim of the 1619 Project was that America was founded in 1619. The New York Times, of course, has since subtly erased that portion. If you go onto their website now, it's gone, and there was no acknowledgement that uh, that was changed. There was an allegation, of course, in the 1619 Project that the Revolutionary War was fought in order to preserve slavery because they were afraid that uh, King George was going to abolish slavery, and that was the motivation for the entire revolution. Of course, that's erroneous. Anyone familiar with uh, the Whig history of our country and uh, the history of uh, the Federalist Party and the Tea Party and so on will, will acknowledge that uh, what, what really drove this was a sense that America had been drifting apart. They had a, a separate identity and they had taxation without representation. That's what happened then. Uh, of course, the past is prologue in some cases, but that's, that's really what happened. There's another aspect of it which claims that uh, King Cotton, the uh, cotton exports, really built the wealth of this country. And certainly, cotton was the major uh, crop of the South. It was one of our major exports. But uh, according to John Clegg at the University of Chicago, it amounted to about 5% of uh, the U.S. economy total. If you look at the economic history of the United States, a big part of the reason the North won was very simple. We had industri industry, we had population, we had an industrial power base, and we had much more economic wealth because we didn't rely on slavery. Uh, there have been actually studies that show that slaveholding states were poorer one all the way up to the year 2000. So 140 years after the start of the Civil War, they were still poorer in large part because slavery is self-defeating as an economic system. So uh, those, those are at least two aspects uh, just off the top of my head that uh, says that the 1619 Project should not be taught and then, of course, when you begin to emphasize these, uh, what to me are totally meaningless characteristics uh, in which we were born, what's truly important if you're a Christian is the value of your soul and your relationship with God, not the skin color of the person who is sitting next to you or walking with you. You have more in common as a Christian with Christians who are of uh, different skin colors or hues outwardly than you do with someone of your own skin color, your own ethnicity, who does not share your predilection and your point of view. So, Ben, um, one of my sort of emerging concerns is the way that uh, young, very young children are being taught really to hate America and um, and understand the history of this nation in a way that really does not align with reality. But it's hard to convince a child who has been told by an expert and read in curriculum in school um, it, it's, it, it becomes even difficult to talk with them. Like parents seem to not have as much authority in the conversation as quote unquote experts at school. And it, people need to be actually like really examining, scrutinizing what's being taught um, in their schools, private and public. I was just reading about a dad in, um, in New York City who, you know, pulled his nine-year-old daughter out of a very elite Manhattan school um, where, you know, they're just they're absolutely being taught not only, uh, you know, via basically the converting the 1619 project into a into a school curriculum, but then they're they're basically being taught if you don't become an activist, a BLM activist, then, you know, you're not actually doing it right. And I just it there's um there's a there there absolutely we have the conversation consistently here on the program. Racism is obviously a sin. People stand on equal footing um, at creation Amen. and at the cross and in the kingdom. Like we are all image bearers of the living God. Absolutely. 100%. I want to absolutely be advocating and talking about that. But the way that we talk about our own history needs to be 
like actually honest, not, you know, not sanitized white and certainly not villainized black. Like we're it's it's um, it's hard to have an honest conversation um, about the history of the nation when people have become so convinced that the nation itself is. Uh, is a sinner. And the nation is not a sinner. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're sinners, all of us. Um, but the nation itself is not sinful. And so, um, or trapped in a particular sin. And so I just thank you for your willingness to uh, delve into this particular conversation today. It's a hard one to have, but it's just so necessary. It is. And you, you talk about how we're, we're not uh, sinful as a nation or we're not trapped in one place. You know, what, what defines the United States isn't slavery, because there are nations all over the world. And particularly if you look at 1776, most of the nations in the world had slavery at that time. So what, uh, what sets us apart isn't the fact that we had slavery or that there was racism in the United States. Most people in 1776 of all cultures would be considered racist according to our contemporary standards. And judging them by those standards, by the way, is called presentism, which is a sin against history if you if you are a trained historian. But the fact of the matter is what sets America apart is the fact that in our founding documents written in 1776 and 1789, we put slavery and racism on a collision course with equality. And ultimately, equality, that is to say the inalienable rights of every individual created in the image of God, prevailed over those structures which had been set up in the roadblock as roadblocks to that reality. So that's what makes the United States unique and different than any other country is the fact that we have a self-correcting mechanism that allowed us to recognize the dignity and the image of God in every single human being. Okay, I don't know if there's a recent piece out there on presentism, but if there's not, you should write one because that we need to be reminded of that constantly. Um, so, all right. So, um, you know, not not that I'm really here to give you assignments, but you're apparently welcoming tips. So there you go. Always, for the day. Al- always from you. Okay, so there's this great um, there's this great piece. Well, great piece. It's a great piece worthy of discussion at the Fresno Bee, um, and I know we don't have time to completely unpack it. But today's the National Day of Prayer, and apparently tomorrow is the National Day of Reason. So talk with us about um, prayer and reason, or faith and reason, and how they uh, are both important in terms of who we are as a nation. Right. The National Day of Reason was instituted as kind of a response. You have prayer, but we have reason. And <laughs> right. uh, they, they are, they are not, obviously, they're not mutually exclusive. They were completely relying upon one another. Uh, the, the way that uh, most of us were raised is pray as if everything depends on God, work as though everything depends on you, or rather God working in you and through you, both to will and to do that, which he intends. So that's, that's the way that we look at this. Reason is something that God endows everybody with. It's, uh, according to many of the church fathers and the early church theologians, it's actually the way we are made in the image of God is we can think God's thoughts after him. And so we have that ability to use our reason, to use our God-given reason, guided by his insights, commandments, and revelation in order to make the world a better place. The two are not mutually exclusive, but in fact, they go hand in hand in order to help us complete our vocation as Christians. And uh, that's been really the the central uh, fulcrum on which uh, our our country has gone back and forth and our all of Western civilization. Uh, Western civilization ties together Greek philosophy and and Roman law together with Judeo-Christian insights. So particularly Christian biblical insights guide a lot of what we do, but then we tie it to reason. And that allows us to communicate that 
those precepts and uh, ideas to those who do not, necess- not necessarily share them when we are talking to others in the public square. Yeah, it's just so good. All right, Ben Johnson, as always, thank you so much. We will uh, be delighted to now read what you are writing at dailywire.com. You guys can uh, find Ben at therightswriter.com or now at dailywire.com. Ben, uh, we look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you so much. God bless. Likewise. That's Ben Johnson. We'll be right back. All right, every single one of us is able to reach someone. What's the first step? Well, the first step is let's go, which is the rallying cry for each and every one of us to engage and participate in what's called Go 21 and in the broader Go movement. Like, I want you to think about taking a first step into an evangelistic lifestyle. What does it actually look like? What would be required? How would you do it? How might you, as one member of the body, be mobilized as a part of the greater body of Christ to pray for and share with others the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Go 21 is the mobilization effort, and uh, and we have Kimberly Johnson, Go Movement USA Associate Director, with us next. We'll be right back. Know the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? Well, it's probably describing your family. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Though the culture and friends greatly influence our kids, there's actually a stronger and more consistent force on their lives. You. Yes, you. The principles and behaviors your teen eventually adopts are mostly learned from observing mom and dad. So, if that's the case... What are you communicating? Do your actions express kindness toward others? Can your teen tell you value God in his book? Where have you taught your kids to go for help and comfort? Take a look at what you're teaching your kids, because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. There's more from Mark Gregston on Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit parentingtodaysteens.org. Johnson. She is the USA Associate Director for the Go Movement. You can find what we're talking about today at go21.us. We are talking about um, the Go Movement as a part of the National Day of Prayer as well. So, Kimberly, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Glad to be here. Well, it's exciting to have you. First of all, just lay out for people, what is um, what is the GO movement, and specifically, what is GO21? Well, the GO movement is unifying churches and ministries and individuals around a shared vision of every Christian sharing and every person hearing the gospel in the next 10 years. And we have a catalyst for that, and that is in May, which we call our GO month. And that's what we're in right now. It's a time where we together can focus, put an extra emphasis on uh, praying, caring, and sharing our faith. All right. When you say, you know, uh, praying, caring, and sharing, that sounds a lot to me like the, you know, prayer, care, share model. Talk with folks about that 
sort of rhythm um, because you mm-hmm. guys aren't in this alone. Like this is a really huge collaborative effort of lots of Christians and Christian organizations here in the United States and around the world. Yes, um, it is. A, a, it is a collaborative effort. The, we're all, you know, I'm, I serve in a church and we're all putting, you know, our resources and efforts together so that believers, you know, majority of whom are not currently sharing the faith would be encouraged to take that next step and to start praying for five people, five people in your network, in your, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your workplace or school, someone in uh, your, um, where you recreate uh, and start to pray for them, pray for, um, uh, pray for their hearts to come to know Jesus and pray for an opportunity to share with them. So pray and then care. Care is just practically showing them that you really care and uh, just demonstrating the love of Christ. And then as God opens the door to lovingly and appropriately share the gospel. So it's all about relational evangelism. There's a lot of all kinds of evangelism going on in the month of May, but it's focused on relational evangelism, really helping us get this rhythm in our life of praying daily and to looking for opportunities to show we care and to uh, and to share the gospel as God opens the door. I was talking yesterday um, at lunch with a friend, and she she was sharing how God just prompted her to um, offer to pray for some young people whom you know she intersected with in life. She doesn't, you know, she's like, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna have long term relationships with them. But I was just prompted to just blurt out, like, how can I pray for you? And they were stunned and and kind of caught off guard, but everybody ultimately circled back around and shared a prayer request with her, and she's been praying for them. And she said, you know, I don't know that it's changing them, but it changed me. It changed me to be praying for these people who, you know, were so obviously, in this particular case, very, very obviously living outside of at least the practice of the faith, right? I mean, and so, you know, I was just affirming to her, you know, they know very little about you, but one thing they do know about you is, here's a lady who talks to God. Like, here's like, that (laughs) is what, I mean, when we offer to pray for people, what they at least they discover at least one thing about us. First of all, we're we are concerned for them, and we are um, concerned enough about them to offer to pray, and to ask them how they would like us to pray. But they they then know, hey, here's a lady who talks to God. I think that's a big thing. That's a big step forward. It is, it, and it's a step of courage too for Christians to uh, step out and ask that question. We were just at dinner last night, and you know we always ask our waitress how we or server, excuse me, how we can Mm -hmm. uh, pray for them. And uh, this particular one wasn't real receptive to it, but I'd say about, and we were talking about this, ninety percent are, and Mm -hmm. it just opens this door. And as you said, it changes us. It gives us a love for that person, you know, Mm -hmm. to start, you know, not necessarily in that circumstance. Of course, we as we have a conversation and start to build a a relationship with that person in that short period of time, God gives us a, a love for that person and uh, courage to ask him how we can pray. But, you know, when we have this prayer rhythm in our life, or uh, like your friend who, you know, just was prompted to start to pray for those, that group of people, we start to, you know, it changes our heart and uh, we start to get a bur- real burden for them. Um, there's a, another, uh, a little, it's called Pray for Bob uh, initiative. My uh, my boss, Dave Gibson, uh, came up with this strategy of 
be, you know, praying for a burden for the lost, this for ourselves first. We pray that we would have a burden for the lost. We pray for open doors and that we would boldly proclaim it as we should. So pray for Bob every day too, uh, as you're praying for your five. But um, yeah, God just really does change our heart as uh, for people and gives us his love for them as we pray. Kimberly, um, first of all, those are so like tangible and practical. So uh, pray for Bob, a burden for the lost, open doors, boldly proclaim. Like that's, we need little, we need mental hooks like that. Like we're, that's necessary in the world today. And, you know, pray for Bob is something that I can, uh, I can hang, I can hang in my mind and like remember that. That's so good. I think the rhythm of the prayer, care, share, um, go, uh, part of Go 21 is is like that as well. So we've mm-hmm. talked about prayer um, and we've talked about just, you know, identifying five people for whom I'm going to mm-hmm. specifically pray each and every day. And at some point I'm going to ask them how they want me to pray. Like I've been, you know, I've just been, I've been praying for you, but I'd like to pray for you in a, in a way that maybe is specific to something you're feeling a need about in your own life. That might be a conversation starter that you could have with somebody. Um, and and invite them then into you're not you're not praying with them but you are inviting them into the reality that you're praying for them and that's really cool talk then about um caring tangibly for people why does it matter that our prayer is complemented by our care oh wow it's that it's huge i mean we really have to to uh show that we love them um people uh you know, it's a building a trust, um, building, uh, you know, to see that you really do care about them is, is important. And sometimes it's, you know, we think of care in a, like, uh, bringing soup to someone who's sick or something like that, which it is. Um, but care is just taking time in your life to invite them for coffee or to spend time with someone, um, to, uh, make sacrifices to help them, you know, uh, in certain ways. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that really, uh, people are really receptive, but they don't care how much, you know, until they know how much your care is, it, is it, uh, an old saying. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really true. Um, you know, we, it's important that we are first, uh, meeting them where they're at, seeing what their needs are and, and, uh, walking with them in that. One, um, one tangible way to show care in the workplace, if you're listening right now and you're like, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a weird place to try to show that I care about somebody. <laughs> um, once you know what the concerns are in someone's life, because you've been praying for them and you've been engaging, you know, before the Lord in that way, once you know some of those concerns and needs, in many cases I have discovered, you you find that what that person really needs is a day off. And wow. um, and oh, you wow. can actually mm-hmm. give someone, in most in most organizations, you can give someone else a day of your PTO. You can give them a day of your paid time off. And so that might be one way to think about tangibly caring for a coworker um, in a way that it's not invasive, but genuinely grants them what they need to tend to the concerns in their life, um, you know, whatever those may be. All right. And then uh, prayer, care, share is the third component mm-hmm. part of this. Um, if you're listening right now and you have not done so already, you can actually go to MyFaithRadio.com and you can, um, we have a little exercise that you can walk through to learn um, how to to develop uh, your own faith story. 
It's a uh, it's a really practical tool to help you understand and craft your faith testimony with within just a few minutes, um, because a lot of us know that we're supposed to be sharing our faith story, but we really don't know how. And so we have a tool right there at MyFaithRadio.com to help you do that. I'm going to continue my conversation here in just a moment with Kimberly Johnson. We're talking about Go 21 and the Go movement. You can find it at Go21.us. We'll be right back. So just say a prayer for him. Say a prayer for her. If you know someone that's feeling low, get down on your knees and say a prayer for him. Talking with Kimberly Johnson about the Go Movement. She is the Go Movement USA Associate Director. She's also the Director of Missions, Operations, and Projects at her home church. Um, Kimberly, um, as we talk about sharing our faith, sometimes that can be like super duper scary. But we also know mm-hmm. that, you know, Jesus says go. That's actually the hashtag for Go21. Jesus says go. You know, there's a great commission out there. We're all called to uh, to share our faith as Christians. How do you encourage people to just sort of get over that, the fear barrier? I think it's a fear barrier more than anything else. Yeah, I, you know, I... I struggle with it all the time. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm your everyday Christian. I get to serve with a lot of evangelists, which is a real privilege. But, um, you know, this fear factor, one, you know, way that has really helped me is to have, you know, in advance kind of an outline mm-hmm. of questions I can ask people because we want to first get to know their story. So that should just take the pressure off sharing. You know, you're not going to jump right in and start sharing the gospel, but we want to first, you know, care about the person we're talking with, whether it's someone we just met or a longtime friend or family member, and start to get to know their story. And we have an acrostic for that is called SHARE, S-H-A-R-E. So that's uh, something we have here at at Grace Church that we use. And S is uh, start to talk about superficial things, you know, just like, how's your day going? You know, and if you don't know the person, you know, are you from around here or whatever, you know, just really simple, superficial kind of conversation. And the um, H is home life. Start to ask about the family. You know, do you have a family or how's your family doing? And um, then you can get a little more personal and start to get to more feelings questions, which is the A. So S-H-A, attitudes questions. So how's life treating you? Do you? Are you where you thought you wanted to be in life? So this is where the heart starts to open and you can start to get more into things that are um, you know, kind of deep concerns or cares that they have, which often will open the door to how do they cope or how do they handle that situation? How, how, you know, how, you know, just get to hear a little bit more about their journey. And then it can open the door to the R question, a religious question. So do you have a Mm. faith background? Do you, um, do you go to church? You know, do you, you know, um, so just asking some of those faith questions, um, and then, then that often leads into the E, the e- eternal life questions. And this is where we always want to ask permission before we enter in here. Would it be okay if I shared with you my story, my faith story? And so that can open the door to, uh, you being able to share your testimony. I love Carmen that you guys have this, this tool uh, on your website to help people share their story. And once we get the ability to share our story, um, you know, in different ways based, you know, on, uh, you know, what we're talking about. So sometimes we'll have a longer time, sometimes a shorter time to share how, how 
we met God in a personal way and how he radically transformed our lives. And it was never the same again. Um, that, yeah. you know, that, that then we can say, well, would you like to know how I came to know that story that changed my life? And you can share the gospel. So, you know, that's kind of a process. It's called the share process. So that's a way. And it's, you know, three stories. It's hearing their story and then sharing your story and then God's story. And it's in that order. We always want to hear their story first. Yeah, um, there's some just really cool stuff um, at uh, at the Go 21 website. I mean, I have worked my way through some of the things you guys have posted here. And again, the website's go21.us. I love the All America app. The All America mm-hmm. app is a simple, powerful tool for every believer to work together and strategically reach all of America. Like, that's really, really cool. I just think that, you know, people even being aware that um, there there are uh, there's a network of people out there who are working very strategically to um, advance the gospel in this generation mm-hmm. in the United States of America and um, and certainly around the world as well. But the the Go 21 U.S. team um, is mobilized. Today is the National Day of Prayer. Um, mm-hmm. It is a collaborative effort. And so we, we want to just invite everyone into it. So again, uh, inviting our listeners to go check it out. You can check it out at gomovement.world or you can check it out at go21.us. Kimberly Johnson, thanks so much for being with us today here on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, here are a few uh, Mother's Day headlines for you really quickly. Um, A woman from Mali has given birth to nine babies. Yep, nine babies. Um, That is a new world record if you were keeping track. Um, There's going to be conversation about that today, I'm sure. That is uh, some headline news around the world. Um, Here's another headline here in the United States that I I think might be kind of surprising post-pandemic. There were three million... 605,201 births in the United States last year in uh, in 2020. That is the lowest number since 1979. Lowest number of births in the United States since 1979. Um, that that's uh, <clears throat> that's a problem on many fronts, um, and we, we we can talk about that in the coming days. Why a um, an insignificant birth rate replacement rate is uh, is a problem for a nation, including our own. Mother's Day is coming this Sunday. Uh, I'm sure you know that and um, are getting all prepped and ready for that. I read a beautiful um, post when Mom Forgot Me at uh, at Sylvia Schrader's website. Um, and it, it reminds us that um, our moms get confused sometimes, and then sometimes they, late in life, they get really confused. And this world starts to grow very dim. And we pray that uh, that heaven becomes more and more real to them. This reflection by uh, Sylvia is really, really quite beautiful. And she, in it, she talks about how Mother's Day is a really day designed to honor the one who bore us into the world. But it does; it is a day that brings pain, and that's a good reminder as well. It renews our gratefulness, it renews our joy, but it also, you know, is a time when we acknowledge real sacrifice and real hard work, um, precious memories. Uh, the way that our moms have invested in us. 
And um, it's also a day that there are, you know, people wishing that they had a different backstory, into, in, including the backstory that includes their their own mom. So want you to um, uh, want you to be mindful and and encouraging of those whose moms are slipping away from them and whose moms have have left them in a myriad of ways uh, in the world. And so it is Mother's Day. And it's good to be reminded of uh, how just how precious our moms are, um, but that not everyone has the same shared experience of of mom. Uh, I'm remembering my conversation with Mike Glenn here on the show, his experience in his book as his mom was slipping away um, with dementia. Uh, I remember his book, Coffee with Mom, just such a precious reminder um, of and humor, humorous look at, you know, what life is really like in terms of its later stages sometimes. And so let's be mindful of one another. Let's be gentle with one another. Let's certainly absolutely celebrate our moms. I celebrate mine. I celebrate my grandma. Um, I know that for my stepkids, you know, right, this is, it's challenging. It's hard. Um, And let's be mindful of that as well. There are lots of moms out there for whom Mother's Day is absolutely bittersweet. And so uh, I just want to, I want you to hear me say, I know that and I get that. I know there are a number of people listening right now who, as we talk about Mother's Day, they are grieving decisions that they made um, a generation ago now, um, many, many years ago, related to uh, the life of an unborn child. And I know that and I get that. And I just want you to hear us say today that the Lord is good. He is sweet and he is precious. Um, and he has those babies in his hands. He has those babies in his hands. Um, and so on this Mother's Day, let's just be mindful to be very, very gentle with one another at every age and stage of life, um, dealing with uh, the myriad issues that we confront related to motherhood today. Uh, we just talked yesterday with Judy Douglas um, about what it looks like to be praying for prodigals, prodigal children in our lives, and what that life looks like for moms. You can go and get that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com. We've got a, n- a number of resources posted for you there to equip you to share your faith story as a part of Go 21. We've got um, also tons of resources related to the National Day of Prayer. It is today. We want to encourage you to participate in it and participate with us in the live stream tonight at nationaldayofprayer.org. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Excited to have a conversation with our friend, Dr. Peter Kapsner. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.